Well, good morning. I'm actually really starting to love this song. Uh, Nobody loves me like you do. Um, For those of you who don't know, we've started incorporating some youth worship into youth time, which has been like a two-year prayer and an instant kind of answer, which is incredible. And so uh, we thank Justin for his his heart in following this path with us. Uh, And we're trying to build a bridge between youth and what all my friends called big church. Uh, That's what this is, is big church, because there's, I guess, little church and big church. And so uh, they've been learning how to worship. And uh, like all things we do in, in youth, it doesn't always go as planned. And so uh, Justin had a, a struggle uh, in playing the song, I'm sorry I'm doing this to you, and, uh, and they just picked it up, and they just kept worshiping, and they're like, you're not stopping, we're just going to worship. And so it was just a great way of them kind of loving Justin through this, and uh, just this incredible show of the way God loves us. And so, uh, and I think it, t- it ties in into where we're walking through Advent this year, that God Put on his, Jesus put on the flesh and he dwelt with us and he was here in a way that loves us like no one else. And so uh, if you haven't figured it out, we're going to keep singing the song all the way through Advent um, because of that connection. And so uh, uh, I'm just excited to see our youth excited about worship and excited to see that bridge into uh, what we do in big church. So I'm uh, glad you guys are here with us today. Uh, it is Advent season and as we've kind of talked about it, it's, it's this time that we take a moment to step back and remember what Christmas is really all about. Because uh, if you're like me during this time of the season, we have a lot of stuff like added to our plate. We have Christmas parties, and then we have Christmas parties we forgot about, and then we've got, um, you know, end of the year things. Oh, I really wanted to make sure I did that before the new year. So we have to get that in there as well. And all of a sudden, we're just driving, pursuing so many things, and we kind of lose the focus, right? And then kind of the new year starts, and we just forget about it all. And say, oh, we're just going to start all over fresh, and it'll be okay. Um, but I think heaven is a little different in that we want to take that moment to stop and really reflect on what Christmas is about. Uh, and like we talked in the video last week, it's about waiting, um, which is what I don't do at Christmas. Uh, I can't wait to get the tree home. I can't wait to put it up. I can't wait to take it down. Um, I just want to cycle through Christmas. Um, And so uh, let's kind of reflect on waiting a little bit uh, because Christmas was that fulfillment of that time where we, we met the Messiah, where it was God with us here And they were waiting for so long for this. And yet so many people missed it. And they were in town with them. Um, And now we celebrate and we wait, you know, and hopefully it's not about waiting to take the tree down. It's not waiting to finish all of the joy, but it's about waiting with some hope. And we wait because we have hope and so there's no fear. And we don't wait in the darkness, we wait in the light, knowing about what is supposed to be coming next. Um, In reality, in truth, we we wait for Christ's return, and that's an incredible thing for us. And we can do this because Christmas isn't the end of the story. It's not even kind of the beginning. It's the fulfillment 
of the person of Jesus that has been promised from the beginning, that was there in the beginning and is there in the end. And as much as the story is about Christ's birth and this incredible picture of a virgin birth in, in the manger with no room and, you know, they found it uh, in, you know, in the shadow of the temple, it's none of that story that changes us, but it's that baby that was there that did it. Jesus did it. And this is that word of God. He took on a flesh and, and dwelt with us. So that's where we're going to be today. And as Dave mentioned last week, God's got skin in this game. Um, real human skin. We talked last week. 100% human, 100% God. It makes it confusing because that doesn't equal 200. It still equals 100. Um, and that's how God dwells with us. And he, as we think about this skin in the game, we need to think about why, why we even have this term because no one wants to put skin in the game. It hurts when I do it in the shop. It hurts when we do it on the road riding our bikes. Um, but it's about having a reason to continue on for both sides of a covenant, of agreement. That I'm, when you have skin in the game, if, if you fail to keep up your side, you lose something. And I think, uh, I've never really quite thought of that the right way with God in that he, he has so much more skin in this game than we do. Um, yet he continues to seek us and follow after us. And so we're going to kind of walk through that. Um, and what I want to talk about is, is today how God dwells with us and how that dwelling is really God's pursuance. He continues to fight for us and to seek after us from the moment he made us to the moment his story ends, when it never ends because it just keeps going with us, with him. And so God pursues us. And of course, I, I can't preach without a little bit of a story. And so uh, I spent some time this week on my couch uh, it's kind of like Jesus counseling where you pray and you try to understand and God brings back a story of your growing up, which always for me is I'm 13 years old, and I remember Christmas. And uh, my dad loved Christmas. He loved to decorate for Christmas, and he loved to make our own Christmas decorations. And so in our front yard, we had tin soldiers, and we had Santa Claus, who was that big, and lights, and it was incredible, and our neighbors didn't like us, uh, and I didn't like to be out there putting it all together, because uh, we kind of got spotlighted in the neighborhood, and all my friends would ride by going to the park, and they'd point at us, and I felt weird. Uh, I still feel weird like that. But one year, we, for my mom, we decided to build a new ornament for the front yard, Frosty the Snowman. Uh, it was big, it was about eight feet tall, as big of the sheet of plywood that we could get. And we spent weeks working with him in the garage in the shop, building Frosty, painting Frosty. And then we put Frosty out in the front yard. Christmas morning comes, first thing I hear is someone stole Frosty. I'm like, what? Next thing, dad's on the phone with the police department. <laughs> and they're not quite believing him and asking, well, did he just go off and play? Um, is he going to come back? Like, I mean, that's kind of Frosty's line. He just continues on his way. And he didn't think it was really funny. 
Um, so eventually we got the police report, and, and Dad was still kind of frustrated by this. And so we've, we, we now, this is Christmas morning, we kind of get through Christmas the best we can, because Frosty is gone, and it's really sad in the mood. And then we go out, driving the neighborhood, looking to see if we could find Frosty somewhere in our neighborhood. And each year, we would go a little further out, hoping someone would put Frosty out. And so my dad just had this heart to pursue Frosty. And I thought it was the silliest, worst idea ever imaginable. And I made fun of him for it. But I look back now, one with my own son, who's a little older than I was, and I see what I was missing, and this is kind of my couch time with Jesus, as he's like, just so you know, your dad wasn't as insane as you think he was. Like, he, he remembered that time you guys worked together on that gift. Um, that you spent hours in the shop, and no one lost a finger, and no one went to the ER, and you made something, you created it, and you let everyone else enjoy it. And then someone stole that from him. And so he was going to pursue it until he had no other option. And so my dad was pursuing this, and I didn't understand any of it because I was just a 13-year-old boy. And, but now looking back, he was pursuing it not just for his gain, but for us because he wanted us to share in this, and it was important. So why is this connected to Jesus? Because uh, God pursues us. He takes what he created, and he continues to follow after us because we're important to him. So turn with me to John 1, and we'll kind of start looking at our passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shone, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now let's pray really quick. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its wisdom. We thank you for how it will move our hearts as it impacts them. And so, Lord, we just ask that you open our heart to your word. You, you give me the ability to speak past my my meanness to let your godness come through in a loud way. In your name we pray, amen. So before we 
kind of dive into the dwelling part of God, we've got to dive in to, to where we start. We have to orient ourselves on this picture of who God is, just like John does. He starts, in the beginning was the word. And now this is going to hyperlink us all around scripture. We've been talking about that, how one kind of one verse, one word will link us to this bigger story. And so this one takes us back to the garden and it connects us to our place in this narrative. Because if we don't put ourselves in the right place, uh, we misinterpret who God is and we actually bring a different perspective to the story. All right. And so, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created us all in his image, and he gave us this purpose and a role, uh, and he gave us a fact that we have to have some skin in the game, right? Uh, we're God's creation, created to live within God's terms, and he said, you can have everything you, you want, manage, tend my sheep, manage my flock, take care of what is here, but don't eat of that tree of good and evil, like this new word, good and bad, but don't eat of that tree. There was one thing we were supposed to do. And so our connection with God is about obedience. And it's also about recognizing what comes first. Because when we put ourselves in that place God wants to be, we, we start to get me-focused. And that's not what happened. God created us. He chose us to live with him. We didn't choose to live with, with God in his place. And so if we don't orient ourselves in that direction, then all of a sudden we let our view of God kind of mess it up. Because my view of God, if he's like me, is self-centered for his, for his good, not my good, and it's about what best suits God. But that's not the God the Bible talks about. When we put God first, and this is his creation, then we start to understand how he loves us by what he does. We start to understand his desire to be with us, and we're going to see that as we come to see how he dwells with his people through this whole narrative of scripture. That helps us understand his sacrifice at the cross, and it helps us see that God has much more skin in the game than we ever did. And so God, as we continue forward, God dwelling with us, uh, we're going to look at this as kind of two bookends of God's story. Right, that in the beginning, we were created in the Garden of Eden, and we dwelt with him. And in the end, when heaven and earth are reconciled, we will live with him again as well. Revelations 21, uh, 1 to 3 say this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the, new, the first heaven and earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as the bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with a man. And he would dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so God's story has us bookend between living with him in perfect relationship, in perfection, and yet we're not quite there yet, because we don't live in either one of those. And so we, we can talk about this, and in the beginning, we have access and availability to God. God is there with us in the garden. We can see him. Um, and, and now I get to be a little awkward, because I, I still am the youth pastor, and so when scripture gets weird, I have to point it out to my youth, because um, I don't understand this section, because it, 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 
I, I can't understand that heart issue. So in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve, and they were naked and unashamed, living with God in his created world. Um, and, after we, and we know they were this way because after kind of the aid of the tree, they were ashamed, and they figured out, I can't be there without putting on something called clothes, and they invented the first thing, clothing. Uh, and so now I'm going to get, hopefully not too flippant, but uh, it, I can't get accustomed to this feeling. Um, to be comfortable walking around the woods naked uh, isn't my normal. Um, and so I walk around the woods, uh, and I don't do this naked, because it could hurt me. Uh, I wander around the woods, and I look over my shoulder for predators, because I know they exist out there. Uh, and I wander the woods, and I know that if I find my hunting partner wandering around the woods in that same manner, I'm concerned, because this isn't right in my world. And so it seems silly, but God's word is defining something that I can't even comprehend as being normal. Um, so if I put on a different lens and orient myself the way God would say this, I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be ashamed of what God has made and who I'm in a relationship. And I shouldn't have this fear of having to hide from him because it is all good. And so my sin, if we don't orient ourselves right, changes that view. But what an incredible relationship, how personal and intimate of a God we have that he could take all those things that make me so incredibly uncomfortable and turn it into something so pristine and holy that we just don't care about it anymore. And this brings me kind of to our next point. Um, we were walking alongside our God in the garden. We have accountability in that place. Um, and we'll have accountability in heaven, heaven, and we'll talk about that one in a little bit. But in the garden, we have this accountability to obey God, to follow that, that agreement he had with us, to keep our skin in the game. Um, we were supposed to keep up our side of it, which was to not eat of that tree. And so accountability is what allows us to stay in access and with and have God available to us. And so if we're not accountable to God, then those things get taken away. And that's kind of what happened, or that is what happened in the garden. Right? Disobedience destroyed what was once one. That relationship that was perfect isn't perfect anymore. It, it took that oneness and split it into two. It put shame in there, it put fear in there, and it creates a divide. And that's what kind of the garden looks like. As they get cast out, Adam and Eve can no longer be with God in that garden because of that perfection and because God wanted to seek after them and restore that relationship. And so Adam and Eve are cast out to the east Gates are closed, an angel is placed in front of it, and now they start to live this life in this world that we call home right now, waiting for what comes next. So as we look at chapter 1, John 1, there's this hyperlink we're going to get to our next spot. As we're going to start seeing this path God has kind of laid out where he starts to dwell with us in a different way. 
And that, that first word is going to be tabernacle. In, in Greek, it is, uh, hopefully don't butcher this, skinau, which means basically to tabernacle, to tent, that God took his tent and put it in our world and lived with us. He literally tented. And this is a direct hyperlink to our story in Exodus, so to the tabernacle. And this is God's dwelling place with his people. This is spoken about in just a ton of, of the chapters of Exodus about what God's dwelling place looks like, how it was supposed to be created, how we were supposed to engage it. And so we get this tabernacle. And it has some incredible connection to the garden in that the rear of it faced westward, so the, the, uh, the entrance is facing to the east. On it, it has some cherubim, some angels that are, um, that are sewn into the veil. And then more than that, uh, there is this tree of light, the lampstand that, that sits there that's lit for all of the, the tribes. And the tree of knowledge, which is actually the law of the Ark of the Covenant, is sitting in the Ark containing the law. And all of this is described for God as a, by God as a place that he's going to dwell with his people. And it's mobile. And so this is God's ability to, to move us with him. And so when God moves, the tabernacle moves. And when God is stable they are stable. And it is literally the center of of the community. It sits in the middle, and all of the tribes live around it in their perspective order. Yet it's temporary. Um, It's designed to be moved and relocated, and eventually it gets replaced, which is not what we want to think about our relationship with God. But also, as we think about it, they had access, but it didn't quite look the same. So the only time someone got to go be with God in that space is one on the Day of Atonement after going through physical and spiritual cleansing rituals in order to be made perfect to be presented through that, at that one point. And then we wait another year to do the same thing. And so our relationship has been changed. Although we have access to God, our accountability is a little different. And we can't approach him in the same manner we used to. So it was the tabernacle that is in this tabernacle, God continued to dwell with us and he sought after us and he moved us around as his people. Yet it wasn't the same. And even in that, God's people turned from him. Sin continued to be drawing us away from God and not towards God. And as time continues, we're going to see, and now we're going to see, God replaced the temporary structure of the tabernacle with the temple. And now this was an incredible piece, right? David wanted to build God's house, and God said, no, this is not for you. I've got a plan. And so Solomon, his son, built it. Um, And this was that next dwelling place, God with us, right? Again, the, the temple has this incredible imagery that reflects the garden. It has pomegranates and palm trees and flowers and cherubim still written or in the design. Um, it's still set up facing towards the east. 
And it's more permanent. And I think just as I would hope, the more permanent structure that exists, the longer God's going to be with us and the more we can trust him and more we can be convinced that if we just do what he says the way this is, that I'll be with God forever. Yet, we're still people. We still sin. We still fell away from that. The access to God became permanent, although it eventually gets destroyed, but our relationship with God was still the same. It was accessible only on one day of the year through one person, the high priest, having gone through the cleansing rituals to be able to go have access to God. And the people knew a difference, just like I think we know a difference today. And so now God sees people's sin and their difference their disobedience, and God leaves the temple. The temple gets destroyed by Babylon. And now the people are waiting for a next temple. They're waiting for God to dwell with them again. They get excited. They're called to go build another temple, but God never dwells in that temple. So God is still saying, hey, there is a permanent something coming, but it doesn't look like this. God is showing them that the temple is not the solution, that the ritual cleansing is not the solution. And we get to this message, that the word became flesh and dwelt among them. Jesus is that solution. He was the solution for them, and he's the solution for us. So as we continue down this path of God pursuing his people, uh, it gets fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the work on the cross and this person of Jesus. He's the one spoke of from the beginning in all the prophecies. It's through his life and his works that we get to see the reflected image of the garden. He is the vine and the shepherd. He's the narrow gate that we have to enter. He is the light of the world like the lampstand, and he's the tree that brings life. All this imagery, again, pointing us back to what that relationship was supposed to be like in the beginning. And the word dwelt among us. This was Jesus in the flesh, 100% human, 100% God, 100% Jesus, living life, being the cornerstone that we build our temple on, right? And this is a foundation that's permanent, right? And although he died on the cross, he he defeated death and rose from dead on that third day. So Jesus provides us this mobile yet permanent solution. He walks life with people. He's accessible and available in their everyday, and yet it doesn't end. It continues on. So Jesus provides what this tabernacle and the temple couldn't. He is that permanent intercessor, so we no longer need a high priest because we have the highest priest working our behalf. So we have access to the temple, to God, every day, every minute, all of the time. And we no longer need these ritual sacrifices or the cleansing rituals because Jesus lived that clean life. We couldn't. That sinless life that I would say I wouldn't choose because I struggle with it. But there on behalf of that, he put it up on the cross and God accepted it as payment. And so our relationship is restored. And all of this has to do with his skin and not ours. Because my skin is not good enough for that. 
Yet we wait. We wait because he's not here yet again. Uh, But God is still pursuing us. The solution is Jesus, but it didn't end there. It continues to walk with us. And so we go from a God with us, the Messiah, to the God in us through the Holy Spirit. And that's how he dwells with us today. So we're going to kind of go backwards through this one. So starting on point three in your notes, God with us. In John 14, it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the word cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and you will be in, and will be in you. For the believer, the one who believes in God and has faith and trust in Jesus, God sent the spirit to us as the helper to guide us. Um, We've been having some interesting conversations with junior hires, and so we've had to try to help them understand what this looks like. And the closest I can get to it is it's a crossing guard. Uh, they don't exist anymore, you know, but for, for a lot of us, it was that stop sign that says, I can walk or I can't walk. They had, I don't know, for me, absolute authority. Uh, when I was younger and then when I was older, they didn't. But they're the ones who say, hey, yes, it's safe to pass or no, it's not. They give us that, that feeling, that knowledge that we should go do something when we can. And that's what the Spirit does, is that we get an understanding, a heart change to know what to do and what not to do. Sometimes we can follow that, and sometimes I ignore him. But that's a little bit of the way I can describe it to my, my junior hires. And again, this this move that the Spirit works in me is against my human desire because I want to do what he tells me not to. Uh, my selfish heart yells out, go, go do the me things, and God says, come follow me. God continues to pursue us even though we sometimes ignore what he wants us to do. Matthew 16, 13 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In Christ, we have a permanent future. Uh, It is solid on that rock. It is indestructible because of Christ's work. And because we again have that restored relationship with God that we can dwell with him permanently without question. And know you are being built In Ephesians 2.22, it says this, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. This dwelling, this God living with us is both with us as an individual and with us as a church. God is here as we gather together. He's here when you are alone. God is part of all of that. And he calls us his temple. So I want you to know my temple isn't fully complete. God has done that work and he's leading on this path towards heaven, but there is a daily call where I need to recognize that my heart wants what I want and not what God wants. And so how do we walk through that? We lay those things at the foot of the cross. We trust God will help us walk that way. And we know because we have this 
this highest of all priests. We can do that every day. So God dwells with us. He dwells here with us together individually and all around. And so let's not waste this Advent season. As we get ready to kind of leave our doors, let's orient ourselves on on the truth. And go back to Revelation 21. We read this, and I'll continue. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We have to have a sense of urgency of what this means. Our truth points us to God in a close relationship. And without that, there is another choice. Absence from God. And we live in this moment between those two bookends where we know that truth. And we have a call to not just keep it to ourselves. Because if we truly love people, why are we going to leave them in that other option? God's plan in this end is that, again, we walk unashamed fearless and intimacy along our God, and I love those walks I have with them here. And I'm going to love them even better when all of that is there in heaven. And so as we celebrate this Advent season, we, we have to know and truly believe that it is accessible only through Jesus and only through the work on the cross. And that Advent is a reminder of what's been done and it directs us for what's coming next. So as we wait, let's celebrate because he had so much more skin in the game to do this for us. We celebrate knowing that Christ defeated the grave and so we can wait with hope. And we celebrate because we're not alone. We have the spirit and we have the church. So we wait together. So know you're part of the bigger story. Know, regardless of where you feel, you're not alone in this. And know you're being sought after. And so perhaps this week, in this Advent season, uh, let yourself be open to being sought after. As Pastor Dave said, keep up with our church reading. If you're not, walk through Luke. I picked back up in Luke this last week. 
Seek after the God who seeks you. Get to know him. Let's also choose to live like God dwells in us. So we're on this journey together. Um, God started the story of Christmas long before the manger. And so the story continues today. Um, And we desperately need to live like we have that relationship. Because that authentic relationship is what matters to our next generation. They want to see how God is alive in your every day and how you pursue after him. So my challenge to you is to keep up with the reading again, to stay in worship, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through listening to the song and being moved by the spirit, but stay connected and live like that's in your life. And let's choose to seek after other people. Let's not waste the Advent season waiting for the wrong things. Uh, I know I have. Um, We wait for the return of Jesus, and our lives truly are short. Uh, I now have more memories of my children growing up than I can remember of my own Christmas. And that kind of scares me. but it means hopefully that I can be more purposeful and more direct in their life as we go forward. So let's seek after people. Let's look at Christmas as this time to, to live out our mission, that we want to love God and love people and make disciples because God first loved us, so we love God. God loves people, so we should love people. So perhaps we should look up this year of looking at some reconciliation. Do we need to go reconcile a relationship with someone that's out there? Do we need to give forgiveness where forgiveness has been withheld? Um, I know I've got a few family members that it's easier to not call than it is to call any time of the year. Maybe we need to reach out and seek people. Let's pray. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we thank you for having skin in this game, for dwelling among us from the beginning, for seeking after us, even when we continuously seek to avoid you. Help us to focus this Advent season waiting for you, waiting not by ignoring what you're called us to do, waiting not by just being passive, by actively waiting and following where you've led us, Lord, because you are active in our lives. So Lord, I pray that through this busy time, we don't ignore your presence, that we embrace it, that we know you dwell with us and you've given us a light to shine. And so Lord, let us use this season. It is here, it is accepted. Those songs of Jesus' joy get sung and sometimes it's in the background. So Lord, let us hear them Let us pray for them, and let us sing them loudly. In your name we pray, amen.